The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is my first guest, Robert Clancy. He's author of Daily Downloads and Fortune Cookies from the Universe. He's an entrepreneur, professional speaker, uh, and an inspirational speaker, by the way. Founder and managing partner of Spiral Design Studios, one of the largest full-service graphic design and web development firms in the Northeast. Uh, welcome to the show, Robert. Nice to have you on this morning. Yes, yeah, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, okay, so your book, uh, I think this is the second book that I've interviewed you about. Uh, your uh, book is described, this book is described as a, a guide to enlightened thinking for a peaceful soul, uh, divided Correct. into nine different categories. So, Robert, how did the book come about? How did this particular, this book, your second book, come about? Well, I, I set a goal on um, December 1st to, to try to write one inspirational thought every morning when I wake up. And uh, it kind of grew out of that. And um, I started posting these online on my uh, book's Facebook fan page on January 1st. And uh, to my surprise, uh, I started with about 100-some-odd people on that. It's, it's over 14,000 people following these right now. And it sort of grew out of that. Um, secondly, I, I found that uh, with my first book, people were sort of leaving it on their beds at night and rereading some of the quotes or stories that were in there. So this book is, is more of a compilation, sort of the Cliff Notes version of all these inspirational thoughts. So you can just open up to random pages, read a couple, and then uh, either uh, go, to, go to bed or when you wake up in the morning, um, grab the book, uh, read a couple of these, and then uh, have, a, have what I hope is a better day. All right, so tell us how to have a better day. Let's talk about what is in the book. What are some of these inspirational quotes? Maybe what are some of your favorite ones? Because there are a lot of them. Yeah. Well, I can, I can share a few with you. There, um, I have many of them memorized, actually, but the, uh, the thoughts sort of <laughs> you have center 14, you. I have to go, you know, I have to, you know, before you answer the question, I'm thinking you've got 14,000 people listening to these. I mean, that's just, that, that's fantastic. I mean, I know you have a reputation, a, a really good reputation, like you sort of you alluded to in your first book, but um, to, to immediately get that kind of response is uh, really impressive. But so let's hear what are those quotes? Um, well, I'll share a few with you, and these these are sort of um, how I center my day. And you can go back and I, I actually reread these. But um, well, here goes: uh, a meaningful life is filled with purpose. A caring life is filled with kindness. A life of compassion is fulfilled with both of those things. The river of love does not reach the mountaintops of anger and hatred. It flows in the valley of forgiveness and understanding. The bridge of faith is the quickest way to cross any river of doubt. 
And I, I've got, you know, hundreds of these. <laughs> I can sit here all day and, and rattle these off. Well, how do you think people choose them? I mean, those are, I'm listening to them, and I think if I, I would really I have to sit and ponder, and I, I imagine people, that's what they do, and whatever fits for them, obviously, that's what's important to them, and that affects them in a positive way. Helps them get through the day or get through the week or whatever, um, or get through life crises, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it you know each one from what I found in the feedback that I received are people read a different message, or that certain ones might resonate with certain people or certain groups. I've got people from Palestine, Israel, um, Bolivia to uh, Yemen to uh, all over India. There's probably four to five thousand people just in India alone that follow these, and Palestine is probably my second largest group that follow these and some of these right, areas so India, are, India yeah. and Palestine what's the con, is there a consistent quote or, that resonates with you say you know different groups you know like different quotes would you say that there's an overwhelming um, group of people let's say from India who kind of hone in on one or two of your quotes there's, there's a connection there uh, not really. I think the overall message of all the quotes, it all comes down to what I think is the most powerful word that we have. It's love. And I see that people from all over the world believe in it. And that's kind of what the message of the overall, um, all these quotes re- relate to that. And as I've spoken to you in the past, I talked about love is four things for me. It's leadership, opportunity, volunteerism, and enthusiasm. And I've kind of uh, used that as my mantra and the quotes all sort of relate to to that, as well as um, just being kind. How, how can you add kindness to your daily routine? How can you help someone else? Sometimes um, volunteerism or compassion could be as simple as a uh, smile, and that might change someone's day just by smiling at them or even for yourself. So the quotes sort of relate to that. It relates to just the message of peace and love, and I think that that's what the underlying theme is for all of these. But, Robert, a lot of people talk about peace and love and compassion and, you know, all of those, all the good stuff, but they don't seem, you know, their words don't necessarily resonate with people or large groups of people as yours do. Why do you think that is? Um, I'm not really sure. I can't put my finger (laughs) on it. Um, I I know that I just, you know, somebody told me that when somebody spends – an exorbitant amount of hours doing something, and they, they reference like the Beatles, for instance. They they weren't an overnight success. They they spent thousands of hours perfecting their music and everything, and then they burst onto the scene. Um, and I don't know if it's just the number of hours. I, I mean, I've volunteered pretty much my whole life, or I've always believed in this and always sought it out since I was very young. Um, Maybe there's some connection there that I can just see it much more clearly than others. I, I'm not really sure, but once I put it the pen to paper and put these out, um, they they connect with them. Uh, you know, I think you explained that well. I think that's true. And um, who was it? Malcolm Gladwell, who I think wrote about that. You know, the Beatles seem yeah. like an overnight success, or somebody invents something and it appears, well, why didn't I think of that? You know, they, they're an overnight success. But it's not true. They have a whole background, which is what you're saying. So all your experiences, everything that you've been, all, all that you've done, kind of has culminates in these words, and I guess they, that's why they resonate. There's some truth, or there's some authenticity to them, I guess, in yeah, the way you express yourself. 
it's part of it is um, understanding and thinking about it after the fact or even while it's happening. And I talk about in my first book, The Soul Hitches, or when you encounter people uh, that, you know, your, your life path or your day might be heading to this goal that you had in your mind and then something cuts across your path perpendicular to where you're going, but ultimately you end up where you're supposed to be in the end. And I think about those moments. They're almost like a deja vu, but it's, it's more than that. It's being more in the moment. And I really think about these little things. And I used to rush around, um, you know, from place to place. And I still do that. You know, there's, everybody falls into that pattern. Um, you know, we're all flawed as humans, but, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is, it's like running through life, uh, you know, taking in life like you're running through a museum with your eyes closed and you miss those small moments. And it's being in tune with those. Sometimes you'll just see a small act of kindness or compassion or something, and it can actually affect your whole day or your life. And I try to really focus on those, and I see these occur. Um, I was volunteering um, with flood victims in Schoharie, and at lunchtime, the rain was coming in, and everybody's getting pretty nervous because of the flooding, and now there's flood warnings, and I'm actually volunteering down there. And rain devastated the whole town. It, it flooded Main Street up to the second story. So th- these people lost everything. So this little boy walked in to this, um, it was like a makeshift restaurant, sort of, that the people put together to feed the volunteers. So there's all this plastic hanging. The whole bottom half of the house is gutted. And he's looking out at the clouds, and he says, what a grumpy day. And this other woman from the town came in. She said, yeah, you might think that, but... The farmers actually need the rain because it will feed the crops, and we haven't had a lot of rain recently. So rain actually is a good thing for us, too. And the little boy sat down and put a smile on his face, and when his lunch came, I remember him yelling out something like, Amen, Penny. He had these funny phrases, but it was all about perspective. This person changed his perspective on rain being devastating to rain also being helpful, and there's always a silver lining in everything that happens, and I look at it that way. But, you know, everybody was oblivious to this moment in this conversation except me. And I, I was looking at people saying, did you just see what happened over there? Did you see that? And they missed it. But when so, you pointed it out to them, what, did they want to talk about it, discuss it with you? Because you're oh, a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they said, I can't believe that you caught that and saw that happen. And I said... You know, it makes me think about when something bad happens to you, is it really that bad or do you just need to change your mind on how you're viewing it? And does that really affect your happiness? Because ultimately your own happiness is all in your own hands. What about, you know, because you're talking about going down and volunteering at the, uh, for the flood victims in, we're talking about Schoharie County, which is in New York State, for those of people who are listening and are not from New York, but... Uh, just your, you know, you talking about you also being a game changer and volunteering and, and being able to see, a, you know, negative things from a different perspective or changing it around. Have you encouraged other people to volunteer? Do they follow your lead? Um, do they talk to you about that? Because I, I know you've done a lot of that, not just for the flood victims, but in other areas. Right. And, yeah, they actually, uh, I've had people who've read my first book and, they were so taken with things that they started doing random acts of kindness and they just started volunteering more. Um, I, and I think that, um, you know, I'm not the ultimate volunteer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just a regular person who just 
we'll try to help a regular volunteer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a regular volunteer, and I think that anyone out there can do that. It's just how much time, and it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money or all of your time. Uh, there's other things that you can do, and if you can incorporate volunteerism into what you do with your life, it makes it easy. Um, I'm a volunteer Taekwondo instructor, and I just like working with the kids, but also I enjoy Taekwondo, so why not volunteer at the same time? And I volunteer at a, a, a group here um, uh, called Columbia Taekwondo in East Greenbush, New York, and, you know, I can just go right over there, um, enjoy working with the kids and, and doing something I love. And that's what it comes down to. That that word pops back in again, love. And uh, so, how can you? How can anyone fit it in when they tell me they don't have enough time? You know, we all have the same number of hours that uh, everyone else has in the world, and some people accomplish some incredible things with those same number of hours. So yeah, well, I, how I you decide to thing. use your time, right? Yes. How you choose to use your time? We all have the same amount of time, so it's your. It's each one of our choices and in terms of how we want to spend our time, right? Correct. Who do you, yeah, are there any particular groups that you've, when you were writing the book, that you were kind of targeting your book for, any particular uh, groups targeted that you will think that would appreciate your book more than others? I think it's, um, on this, the second book in particular is really for anyone. The first book is for people that either volunteer or don't think that they've ever made a difference. And I had my eyes open to um, just what a difference everything that you do. And I had volunteered um, for muscular dystrophy, for instance, and I worked the phones there for many years. And one day I got in an elevator and it changed my life because a guy was in the elevator named Jerry and he, um, he, knew, who, he knew my name and I didn't know who he was but he recognized me as one of the volunteers. And he told me about somebody that passed away from muscular dystrophy who was only 24. And I was 26 or 27 at the time, and I, I started thinking, what did I do with those two years that, I didn't, that this person didn't have? And he saw it written on my face, and he said, whoa, I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I'm telling this because he would have died when he was 14. But every day that he lived, he thanked the volunteers. He thanked those people that put their time into that, and I was one of them. And he said, you know, without people like you around, there wouldn't be people like me around. And that really, you know, I had volunteered before because I was just having fun. It's a great story. It's an inspiring story, as uh, obviously as as the the rest of the... Uh, of, your, of your book is, I want to get specific, let's talk specifically about the different, you know, because the book is divided into, or it has the nine different categories of, I'd like to go through each one of those specifically, like the faith, hope, love, compassion, I think we've covered some of them, but uh, what about faith? How does that fit into the picture? Uh, faith is sort of a belief, um, you know, and I just look at when you can believe in something, it starts by believing in yourself and what you're capable of. Uh, some people look at faith as has a whole spiritual side, and I, I see that as well, and the quotes are, are related to that. But it's sort of the message overall in the chapter is that you shouldn't give up, because if you have faith, faith leads to hope. And I actually have a, a quote that I wrote that came out of that. It's, one's life begins with um, love, One's uh, day begins with hope, 
Every minute begins with faith, and every second you have a choice to share these with another. And it really, you know, when you put those three things together, it, it comes down to that faith that you have, and because um, that's every minute that you have. You need to believe in something greater than yourself and something great within yourself, and that's kind of uh, my, my view on at least faith and then how that yeah. those codes tie. I think that second piece of faith, great having faith within believing in something within yourself is that important second piece, not just faith in somebody else but or in a higher power, but also faith in yourself. Um, what about, okay, what about, well, we've kind of we talked about giving and volunteerism and uh, compassion. Let's talk about compassion. We don't seem to live in a very compassionate world. Um, you know, I've heard that, but from what I've found, we really do. It's people don't see it or don't think about it of how much compassion they encounter every day. When you look at, for instance, the bombings that happened at the, um, you know, during, during the marathon in Boston, you saw people heading into that to help other people. That's the ultimate gift of compassion. I, I can't think of anything better than that. And when you look at the positive, and I, I talk to people about this all the time, they're like, well, you know, how can all this negativity happen and negative things but look at all the positive, and the positive always outweighs the negative things that happen. And I, I look at it this way, that light will always brighten a darkened room, no matter where you are. Light always wins the battle of darkness, and that's the compassion that, that's in everyone, and everybody innately has this. I mean, those were people who were just standing on the street, and something happened. They chose to, to help. And that's, that's, the I, that's, and that's a good example. I'd like, yeah, let's continue with that one because, you know, it was such a horrific, horrific incident that happened. And, and you're saying the, at the Boston Marathon, just blowing up innocent people and, and children, and, um, and, and some good things can come of that. Okay, you gave it one example, but can it go beyond that? I mean, people did, they, they wanted to help, they wanted to help immediately, they, uh, you know, embraced the moment and really did what they could for those who were uh, hurt, does the compassion go beyond that? Because that's just at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I I see it. And and actually regionally, because I I look at it that anyone can be a hero. And my quote is, um, anyone can be a hero. The cape is optional. And I saw that in two students who lost their lives um, on um, a highway locally to me. Uh, Chris Stewart and Deanna Rivers, but their lives have inspired people to do more good, and it continues. This happened December 1st, the day that I started writing these quotes. This is the day of that accident. Um, and you see this continue where people are still doing things in their name. They're still thinking of them. It wasn't just this This was a car incident. accident, was it not, uh, uh, Robert? Yeah. Let's just, yeah. It was a horrific car accident on the highway, was it, or on right? A back yeah, and these, these, yeah, there were four of them. Two two survived, and two were hurt. It was the boyfriend and girlfriend of each um, were were killed in in this accident. But their lives really stood for something, and still do. In what? Because these were good kids doing the right thing. They weren't speeding or doing anything. At, they were just coming back from a game. Somebody hit them, and and they went off the road. And that's, you know, you can't change fate on those things. But 
what has happened is people have continued the compassion and thinking about them. And there's a young girl, Abigail Butcher, from Averill Park High School that lost her life and battled with a with a illness that week. And I've learned that you know all she ever did was smile and think the good in people. And people still know her name and are thinking about her today. And um, you know I I put a quote and I sent it to them. It was. Um, a picture might be worth a thousand words, but a smile can warm a thousand hearts. And I think that's the what about a, people have. Uh, yeah. Let's, all right. But what about what about the parents? You know, you get back to that tragic accident of the four students. You know, two were killed, two were hurt. Um, what about the parents? How can you know other people? Yes, be, can learn, take away can take away a lot of good from that or continue to do good or but how do how does the let's say your quotes or how does that resonate with the people who are let's say closest to to the kids i mean you know that's the yeah. worst thing that could happen to a parent to have your child die so right how does this I've fit actually, into um, yeah that's a great question and i've actually um i have firsthand experience because i had the honor of sitting down with the parents of one of the students in the in the um, Northway crash, the accident, um, as well as Abigail Dutcher's mom, and you know, it's believe in love. Life, love never dies, and I I fervently believe that it carries on. It's something that's endless, and you know, if you took a piece of paper and burned it, is the paper gone? No, the paper's just changed form, and. You know, I'm very scientific, too. I kind of look at every element in the universe has always been here, always will be here, and, and we're made of those elements. So, therefore, we must have always been here, <laughs> always here, uh, and it carries through. But I sit and I just kind of go over some of these things I've written down, and I just speak with the parents, and they seem happy when they're done speaking with me, and I hope that they understand. I, I can't bring back their child. But the love that the child has is endless, and the parent. So you've got to latch on to that. We're only all here for a limited time. It matters what you do between this day and your last day. Every act of kindness really does matter. So that brings us to, this is another one of the categories, uh, for a peaceful soul, enlightened thinking for a peaceful soul. Uh, and the name of the book, by the way, is Daily Downloads. Uh, Strength and leadership, and, I, and the strength and leadership, I think, is very obvious in your business. Maybe you can relate that to your, uh, to your business, Spiral Design Studio. How does that fit in, uh, having um, strength? Yeah, yeah. I, I look at um, anything you do involves leadership, and it, it came from my dad. He was actually on, um, in World War II, he's one of the D-Day, he was on Omaha Beach on D-Day in the third wave coming across there. And his quote to me when I was growing up was, be a leader, not a follower, but realize that you need to lead by following sometimes. And leadership has both, um, you know, you really never have a day off from being a role model. There's always somebody who looks up to you. And so you really need to think about every act that you do. And as, you know, for me, we're all flawed. That's the beauty of life. Um, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, um, and I don't think anyone is that I'm aware of. So my quotes, um, you know, you can't change the world without first changing yourself, and you need to start there. So leadership comes from within and resonates out, and um, I look at all those things. Um, you know, with leadership, you know, discover your inner superhero, 
because each of us contains the power to change another person by just being ourselves. And you don't really need to become someone else to be a hero. Everyone has the ability to do that, to be a leader within that. So it's not when people really are concerned about what others think of them, that's when you sort of lose your leadership. I think that's true, and I think it's interesting when you're pointing out that sometimes you're a leader or you're showing strength, and you're not even aware that someone uh, is 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 aware of what you're doing. And uh, you know, I had one of my kids tell me so I, I took them somewhere. This was many many years ago, and he pointed out to me this was kind of like a turning point in in his life and in, in terms of his experience. And I never realized that it was, you know, that he learned so much from this was a, a particular vacation that he and I had taken alone, um, and I didn't realize how important it was to him at the time. You know, it was, but, and I think this happens every day, whether you're in business like you're talking about or whether you're, it's your own family, but yes, people are watching you, and, and, and um, you, you don't know when you've been an inspiration for somebody else or been leading somebody else necessarily, so. Um, right, or where they're, they're actually looking up to you um, for something yeah, that you did exactly. or changed their life. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So all right. So are are you in the process of writing another book? Um, I'm actually working on two. So that's a great question. Um, the first book <laughs> took me four years to write. Uh, this one's going a little smoother. I made a change where I write each story and work with the editor on each story, so they're very refined. So it the third book is going to be similar to my first book with a compilation of stories. However. Um, the title is The Checker's Guide to the Soul in the Shoes of Others, and it's the third book in the series, because I'm also including stories from other people. Um, I, I've interviewed them, um, and then I'll write their story as if I'm them, uh, reliving it, because I can see sort of what happens. I empathize with what situation they have, so I pay forward stories um, to different things, and I also make a contribution in their name if I use their story to uh, a nonprofit of their choice. So the book is actually paying it forward with the stories as they're being written. So will you have an, will you have an electronic uh, version of this book? Uh, yes. My uh, first book is on, on Kindle and also on iBook. Um, but the second book, uh, the compilation of all the quotes and thoughts, I'm just releasing that in paperback right now. I really feel somebody needs to have a tangible thing in their hands because uh, compassion is tangible, and when they can have this thing and they see it and hold it, it's a little different than the electronic. But my first book is in all the formats, um, and the third book will also be in um, the electronic format as well. So we have a couple minutes left. How do you run a business, write three books? I know you're a family man, volunteer, you know, because we're all sitting here thinking, boy, I'd like to do some of this stuff, but how do you do it? We talk about time. How do you fit it in without racing and running around? Well, it's all balanced, and I do things that can incorporate my family with them. So today I'm helping a friend. Um, you know, his parents had passed away. He, he's just been overwhelmed, and he needs help with his house. And I'm actually going to go over there and, um, you know, help them prep this house for sale. And my son's coming with me so we can have fun and, you know, do things and, you know, volunteer together. My son does Taekwondo, so I get to spend time with him while I'm volunteering and he's enjoying it. And he started doing some helping some of the younger students. So it's all part of it. So it's just bringing balance to everything you do and incorporating it. Yeah, incorporating. I think that's great. You incorporate the different worlds. You volunteer, but your son volunteers with you. I assume you bring him to work sometimes as well. But 
We have to say goodbye, Robert. It's been great talking to you as always. Daily downloads and fortune cookies from the universe. This is Robert Clancy's second book. He's getting into his third book, or will. And uh, you can buy the book online and uh, at Amazon, I assume. Yep, it's on Amazon as well as um, Barnes and Noble and other places. You can actually order it from any bookstore worldwide. Great, great having you. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yep. We are going to take a short break, but uh, coming up next, we have my second guest, Bella Andre, and her new book is called The Book of Love. So uh, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, my next guest is Bella Andre. She's the author of The Book of Love. Uh, Bella has a very interesting story because she was once rejected by her publisher. As a matter of fact, as I understand it, uh, she wrote the book, or, and uh, he, sent, he or she sent the book back, uh, both of her books, and uh, dropped her contract and uh, wanted to have nothing to do with her. And then uh, Bella decided to publish her book on her own, and uh, only good things began to happen. It's like a fascinating story. Welcome to the show, Bella. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, your story is something that you know everybody dreams about. You know, I'm going to somebody rejects me. Okay, well, too bad. I'm gonna, I'll go. I'll sell my book someplace else. 
thoughts or my movie or my film or whatever it is, but you really did it. So talk to us about it. I mean, um, yes, how did that I, happen? Well, I had been published by three of the big New York publishers for about seven years, and Never really broke out, um, always wished that I would. Um, and and then my third publisher did not renew my contract. And um, it, was, it was a blow because, you know, at that point I had hoped my career was growing and growing, and then it went in the wrong direction. And a friend of mine... Um, suggested, we both had Kindles at the time, and this was early 2010, and this was right around when people were just starting to have e-readers. It was all very new, and she said, you know, why don't you write something? Why don't you put it up on Kindle? Why don't you do it yourself? You have nothing to lose. So thank God for her. I decided to do that, and that first month, I sold 161 copies of my book. And it's funny because up by now I've sold more than a million and a half self-published ebooks, but that first 161 meant everything because it meant people were going to Amazon and they were typing in the name Bella Andre and they wanted to buy the books. And, and that was when I knew, okay, you know what? I can do this. I can find that audience that, that I know is out there. And so that's what I did. But so how do you, you know, that's a great story. But those of us, they, you know, many of us will be saying, well, how did you, you know, once you get rejected, I want to talk about that because yeah. I am a social worker. Yeah. And people, and you get rejected by a publisher. And most or many people just kind of give up. You know, right. I, I, it's sort of like if I, and do give up and turn, try to do something else, but they don't do what you did. So what do you think? Why were you able to do that? Or how were you able to do that? To say, That's you know what? Great, yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's so, it's, I think it's really, in a lot of ways, it's the biggest part of, of this story for me. So I'm a pretty resilient person. And, and um, but I have to say, after being in the business seven years and being through three publishers and, and hitting that wall, I was I was bummed. I really was, and um, in in a way that I, I hadn't been in my writing career. And but 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 you know my agent at the time uh, and everybody kept saying, "Well, you're going to have to start over. You're going to have to have a new name." And I kept thinking, "No, there's people out there who want to read my books. It's just that nobody has ever figured out how to find them." And I was just. So, so convinced, you know, little, little parts mad, um, a lot parts determined. And when I got to it, that glimmer, that 161, you know, I had to, I had to put the book up. I had to make a cover. I had to figure out how to self-publish. So that all took work. But once I did that and I saw that little glimmer of what my future could look like when I was in charge of it, that was it. It, the, the, I joke that, you know, uh, People say that when a door closes, a window opens. Not for me. The whole wall blew off. It, it, it literally <laughs> changed my life completely. Well, you know, in your voice, you have a very up. I mean, I can't see you. We're not in the same studio together, but uh, you have this kind of very upbeat feel to your voice, yeah. and you sound like the kind of person who would do just as you describe. I have to say that. And when you talk about, uh, com I mean, 
you what? You just signed a seven-figure book deal with Harlequin. Um, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, uh, also, I, I um, yeah. So what I did actually is is really exciting. It's actually a historic, a historic um, deal. The deal that I signed with Harlequin, uh, yes, is for seven figures, which is great. Uh, and it's actually the first deal in publishing history in which a writer has retained all the digital rights, all the film and TV rights, all the audiobook rights, all the translation rights. And what I have sold to Harlequin for seven figures is only the print rights in English. So that has never been done in the business. And in fact, this really ties into my determination back in 2010 when I decided to self-publish and not give up on myself. Everybody for the past three years in the publishing business said, no one will ever, no publisher will ever do a print-only deal. And I knew they were wrong. I knew everybody was wrong. And whether that made me the crazy lady who was, you know, the only one, and, and I was right. I knew that once the digital self-publishing numbers were big enough, that it would make perfect sense for a publisher to only acquire the print rights. So that's... So, Bella, did you have to get a great lawyer, I assume, that somebody had to be on your team? Yes. Yeah, so I have, uh, I have a great lawyer, and I have a great literary agent that I brought on to broker the deal with Harlequin, too. And, and uh, it, you know, it's been fantastic, and it was, it was a, a very interesting and complicated process to basically rewrite a publishing contract from the ground up. And so now, this book, The Look of Love, this is the first in a series. So there are going to be many more? Yes. So what I did once I started self-publishing in earnest is I decided since I was banking on myself and I could put as much energy and focus towards my own career as I wanted to, I decided to do what I'd always wanted to do, which was write a big series about a family. So I started with eight siblings in San Francisco. And every three months, I released uh, a new book about one of those siblings. So The Look of Love is the first one. And From This Moment On is the second one, which is also... So the first two are out right now on bookshelves um, everywhere. And because I released all eight e-books, by the time Harlequin started printing the paperbacks, they're able to do another unprecedented thing, which is they are going to be printing the first Actual, actually nine books in the series in nine consecutive months. So I am going to have a lot of books on bookshelves over the next year, and it's very, very exciting. And, and, and it's really exciting because I have, you know, personally gone out and found that digital market. Now Harlequin is going out and capturing a brand-new market with the print market. It's very exciting. Bella, what's your background? Because I'm thinking not only are you a writer, obviously, and I – uh, I didn't say this in the beginning, but your books have been named Red Hot Reads by Cosmopolitan Magazine. And uh, But you're a business person. That's yes, always, a... not always a combination. You know, <laughs> writers don't tend to be business people. They tend to just want to write. But you, you're like, you know, executing all these big deals plus your writing. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. I was an economics major at Stanford and uh, worked in marketing for high-tech startups in Silicon Valley for uh, a few years before I started writing full-time. And so I definitely have that entrepreneurial background. And, and I've found that 
authors, particularly in the romance genre, which is what I write in, are very, very smart women. They really understand their market. And I think the reason why romance readers understand our market so well is because we are the readers. So we really know what we are looking for. We really um, love interacting with our audiences on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so the, the, whole, the whole duality of being a, a creative artist as you're writing uh, the book and then turning on and putting your entrepreneur hat on, I think that actually is a natural fit for a lot of women who write. Uh, a lot of women as opposed to men. Can men write romance novels? You know, men, don't, they men don't generally write romance novels. Uh, there's a few, and they use pseudonyms, so usually you can't, you can't tell that they're men. Um, you know, men... Men and women write the thr- more thrillers and and mysteries. Um, I think that might be a more even split. And honestly, I don't. I just don't know that world very well. And I'm sure there's a lot of men who are good at being the business person and the writer also. But I know for a fact that you know, female romance writers are just incredibly intelligent women. Now, okay, so give me a little background, I want to, and I'm sure listeners want to hear it, too. How did this all start? How did you start writing? I mean, just way back in the beginning. Yeah. It was a passion. I, you knew, yeah. Right. I, so I actually, so I've always been a romance reader. My mother was before me. I always was. I actually never thought I was going to write books. I was going to be a professional musician, which is what I was for 10 years. So I toured all over the what world. What did you play? Uh, I, I played guitar and piano, and I sang, and I wrote songs with hit songwriters in Nashville and Los Angeles, and um, it, that was fun. So I did that for 10 years, and then um, a couple of characters started to have a conversation in my head one day. And I honestly, like I said, I never thought I would write fiction. I had written two nonfiction books on the music industry uh, because I had I was a fairly successful independent musician, and I wrote a guide for other people to figure out how to do that, too, and how to make a living as a musician without a major label deal. So when I think that by the time I came over to publishing and to writing novels for a living, my entire background for the previous 10 years had been on working as an independent artist and and making a living and reaching an audience. So I've always felt that there's no wasted work, that it doesn't necessarily look like it makes sense that I got an economics degree and then I was a professional musician for 10 years and now I write romance, but every skill set that I learned along the way has gotten me to where I am right now. It all kind of ties together. Yeah. What, and can we even go back before then, were you encouraged by your parents? Are you, are you from San Francisco? I am. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. My father's a professor at Stanford and we always wrote, I always wrote, and he's written many books on economics. And so writing was definitely always happening in our house. And um, so I think, you know, when I look back now, I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was the obvious path for me. <laughs> it's just, I really, I didn't start writing novels until I was in my 30s. But you have this academic background. That's yeah. kind of the, the, obviously the family you came from. Yeah. I was just in at Stanford two days ago, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, just visiting. But now, the, getting back to the book, yeah. uh, how, how did you decide? Okay, you took all of these what eight kids in the family, and yeah, um, yeah how did well, why that kind of um, I guess uh, 
that type of, of book or, you know, how did you come up with, with that idea? I have always loved to read books and series that follow a large family. There's been several that have been very successful in the historical romance genre, but I hadn't really noticed anybody doing it in contemporary romance, which is what I write. So I have... Like Little Women, for instance, would be... Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I, I just... I had the idea for a long time, and then I just knew that I wanted to have the faith in myself and take two years and, and see what happens. And because I, I'm such a voracious romance reader, I really think that what I did was I tapped into, um, I tapped into exactly what romance readers were looking for. I, I wasn't the only person out there who wanted to read a connected series. And so in the book, each of the siblings, their six brothers and two sisters, each of them finds their happily ever after. And I do spend a lot of time in the books with the family. They have Sunday brunches together, and you see the way they interact, and they tease each other, and, and they argue, but they're always there for each other. And I think that's a large part of what draws people to the Sullivan series. Yeah, that was my next question. What do you think draws people or women to romance novels? Why do we like them so much? I love them. I, I find that, you know, life is stressful and I can always, what I sort of call reset, you know, if I, if I find a writer that I really love and, and I have their books, I can, I can sit down and start reading. And, and it might take me a couple of minutes to kind of focus on the page and, you know, block out whatever has been going on. But once I sink into the book, I'm there. I'm I'm able to, you know, it's it's simultaneously. I think it's an escape, and and it's also just it's just a joy. It's such a pleasure, and I think that it's what's really testament to how enjoyable reading romance is. Is that people like me? There's there's so many readers out there who can read a book a day or several books a week, depending on you know how busy the rest of your life is. They're just that much fun. They're that enjoyable. And, and I love to write and read about true love. I, I believe in it, and I just think they're really wonderful stories to get to be a part of for a few hours. Okay, so, Bella, you believe in it. Let's talk about does it work for you in your real life? Because is any of this, uh, like, related to anything that happens to you personally? Do you interject your, your real-life stuff, re- relationships, romances into your books? Uh, I don't think that I do. I, I don't really do that so much. Um, I don't pull from people that I know. Certainly, I'm influenced by what I experience and 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 the conversations I have and and all of that and, and my beliefs. But for the most part, I think that it just comes out of the imagination and taking two characters and the what if. It's it's the creating a whole world for these people. But certainly. So absolutely, I, I'm sure it's got to be informed by my beliefs about love. And, and I do believe that love is real. I've been married to an amazing man for 18 years, and we have two great kids, and um, he's, he's amazing. And so I have an example of the kind of heroes that I write about in my house with me every day. Is he a writer? Oh, no. No, he's not a writer. He's an engineer. That's a good combination. I think it is. It's, you, it's nice yeah. to have somebody who's really grounded <laughs> and someone who's kind of out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, and not competing with one another. 
because you're comfortable, you know, there's, exactly. you're not competing. Yeah, you're not in the same field. So an engineer and a writer, but a writer who's a businesswoman. Yeah. Um, yeah, who knows how to make money. <laughs> <laughs> I do know how to make money. That's true. Which is, which is a whole other topic with women and romance, and that's, a, I think, a whole other issue, women and, and making money and, and right. the kind of money that you're able to make, that, that you really are. I'm impressed with it, I guess, with the books as well as with your ability to uh, be so successful financially. What would you say to, like, younger women who are interested in the field? Yeah. Uh, like you said, you majored in economics. I mean, very often, I think kids who want to write will major in in, in writing or in literature, um, right. and that wasn't the case with. That's a great question. I, I actually, and this is one of my big soapboxes: is I've never believed that art and commerce should be separate. And there's a lot of mythology. In fact, it's the main it's the main one that says if you're an artist, you need to be starving, or your art's not worthy. And I have always disagreed with that. That was why, way back when, I wrote books for musicians so that they could figure out how to play music and make a living. And it's a lot of what I do now when I speak at writers' conferences around the world is I talk about how, you know, of course, write a beautiful book. That is, that's a huge part of who you are. And, and, and it's probably the majority part of who you are. But when you come down to doing the business... Pay attention, do your research, and don't be ashamed to say to the world and everybody in it, I want to make money with what I create. Um, so that, that's my biggest, biggest thing. And, and the fact is that I've seen so many people in the last few years who do exactly that. They go out and they do their research. They watch the way the publishing business is changing. They look at success stories, and then they extrapolate, and they say to themselves, you know, what, what is it that I can do with my writing to reach a big audience, too? And I'm seeing so many people going out and doing just that, transforming their lives, transforming their families' lives. It's super exciting. You know, it's interesting. I told you we were at Stanford a couple of days ago, and uh, outside the uh, the museum are the Rodin statues. Yes. And Rodin was somebody who made a lot of money with his, with his sculptures, and they criticized him for that. I think that was one of the major criticisms at the time right. because he was replicating his work and you shouldn't be doing that and he wasn't a real artist, so it kind of fits into all of this, right? But, um, yeah, that it wasn't acceptable to be an artist and also to make money with it, but um, you've done that. Uh, so, okay, now, what's the next, is there a next step to this or you just you continue to, you know, write this series um, with the Book of Love? Yeah, so uh, many things. I'm continuing with the Sullivan series. Uh, the paperbacks will be coming out one a month, so the Look of Love and From This Moment On are out now, and Can't Help Falling In Love will be out at the end of July. So that's the third book. Uh, so that the paperbacks will continue with a hardcover at the end of September. So that will continue for a year, which is great. And I recently released uh, the ninth book as an e-book, so I'm continuing forward with the series. I've moved the series to Seattle uh, to do some cousins, some Sullivan cousins. So I'm doing that. And I'm thinking about um, some other, uh, another series I, I may potentially want to start. And 
hoping for there's been film and TV interest in the series, and so I would love to see you know that actually come to fruition. Uh, there's a lot of foreign deals and um, foreign bestseller lists we're hitting with the Sullivans. So just you know, sky's the limit. I just I'm having a really good time. I like to push boundaries, and I, I just like to to see what what else can happen. Well, you're a risk taker, but do you also have, do you sit down with a five-year plan? I mean, you're talking about a lot of different kinds of things, and I'm sure things come your way that you didn't expect. So do you yeah. have this five-year business plan? Uh, you know, there there has been a lot of stuff. The, this, the publishing business is changing really, really rapidly, and you have to be extremely mobile uh, to keep up with it. And so really on a weekly basis, but a lot of times on a daily basis, I'm kind of moving and changing uh, what I'm doing as, as, the, as the waves move. And so I don't, I honestly don't have a five-year plan. It's, that's a long ways off. I, I see pretty clearly about the next year, uh, the next year and a half, and I'm just very flexible and, and um, very much, you know, keeping my eye on the ball, keep trying to keep my focus, streamlined and not get to, um, you know, you can over-diversify uh, and, and lose focus. So I'm really holding focus on, on the projects that make sense right now and, uh, and just ha- having a good time. So, no, not, not, I'm not looking that far out right now. Yeah, because I, I, things change so quickly, not just in the publishing business, yeah. but I'm thinking in, in so many different businesses. You yeah. know, the, this kind of just every 18 months things change, and you have to, like you say, be mobile, flexible, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, not get too just too centered on this is the way things have to be. Right. So, yeah, so you really, this whole on, I guess, obviously the Internet, online uh, has changed everything. Ebooks, um, it's just changed the entire industry. That, that's the direction we're going in, isn't it? I, I think it's certainly it's a growing direction, and it'll be interesting to see how the ebook paperback balance ends up in a few years. I really don't think anybody has a sense of it right now. I know that personally, um, I read about half and half. Uh, you know, I'll read a lot of ebooks, and then I'll just want to read a lot of paperbacks and not read on an e-reader for a while. So. I, I do both, and, and we'll see how readers... What's really interesting, too, in the publishing industry is the way that it's rippling out all over the world. So the kind of growth and change that we've seen in the United States, we're really now seeing in Brazil, we're seeing it in Germany, we're seeing it in the U.K., we're seeing it in Australia, France. It's, it's, fun, to, it's fun to be a part of that change, not just in the United States, but everywhere. Yeah, it's global. We have to say goodbye. It's really, I, I have many more questions to ask you, but uh, for now, we'll have to let them go. The Look of Love, The Look of Love, uh, best-selling author and publisher, Bella Andre. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great to have you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you have been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Most can 